Learn how to embrace confidence and profit with Charlie Mann, episode 306. Are you ready to make your law firm a profit-generating machine that will free up your time and skyrocket your impact? With more than two decades of business growth experience and having proven that you can be successful while prioritizing your family and your impact, introducing the Profit with Law podcast. I am your host, the creator of the firm differentiator 10x effect, Moshe Amsel. Well, hello and welcome to another amazing guest interview here on the Profit with Law podcast. I'm your host, Moshe Amsel, and I have a treat for you today because you've heard from Ben Glass before. And Ben is just absolutely amazing. Uh, wonderful conversation that we had. I'd love to have him back on the show. We'll make that happen for you. Uh, try to get him involved in our Law Firm Growth Summit. Um, but Ben is has you know many years of experience. He's then turned around and helped uh, and is helping other law firm owners experience the same. And today I have Charlie Mann. Now, Charlie is the president and lead coach of Great Legal Marketing, which is Ben Glass's um, legal uh, marketing coaching organization. And I can let him explain about that. Uh, yeah. But I'm excited to have Charlie here with us today because we're going to dive into some of the more important conversations that we need to be having around um, affordability, profitability. Where should your money be going? What should you be spending it on? How do you measure the results? How do you how do you measure whether you're achieving success? And is it the same for everybody? Is it one size fits all? So I'm excited to be jumping into those topics and having this conversation with somebody who's out there in the trenches working with law firm owners in exactly this arena. Charlie, welcome to the show. Moshe, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to to talk with you about, you know, the first term in, in what you do, profit, right? That's the fun one. That's right. You know, it's funny because I named the podcast Profit with Law and there are people who are turned off by it. Like there are, I mean, I, I, I give out to my coaching clients. I give out a, I know my, one of my coaching clients is going to be like, really? You're bringing this up again? But <laughs> um, I give out like a planner for them to use and we put our logo on it. So you've got a planner that sits on your desk and it says profit with law. Now she's been asked me to send her one that doesn't have our logo on it because she has, she's uncomfortable having it on the desk and clients seeing it, you know, Oh, really? You're after the profit. Uh, but there's this thing in society about there's something wrong with making money, right? You have to feel guilty about it. And the reality is, is that nobody else feels guilty about it right? You go into the mechanic, they're not afraid to charge you to fix your car. You go into Starbucks, they're not afraid to charge you an arm and a leg for a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. Why should you be worried about what you're charging and, 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 what, and what you're making, um, you know, for, uh, for your clients? Put it, put it another way. Um, many law firm owners have taken this, I don't like profit so specifically that they're doing 100% pro bono work, except they're charging for it. And <laughs> really, that's the net net effect of doing work that you're, that's not profitable, right? Um, mm-hmm. Is yeah, I'm paying staff, I'm paying rent, I'm collecting money, but I actually am not earning anything. Uh, so 
my mission here is to help people solve that problem, be profitable without it needing to feel dirty, sticky, icky. But before we jump into an actual conversation around numbers, metrics, and all that fun stuff that you and I think is fun, and our listeners are going to be like uh, eyes glazed over and sleeping halfway through the episode, tell me a little bit about yourself. Just give me a little bit of the broad strokes. People want to know who is Charlie Mann. So how in the world did you end up here? (laughs) Well, obviously, there's a very long version of that uh, story, but uh, the main version of it is, well, first off, I've been working in, on, with, and for law firms for the last 12 plus years. Uh, And it all started out uh, coming out of college and I was searching for an opportunity. And there was this guy, Ben Glass, who had the strangest job ad I had seen, but it was all about this marketing project, publishing content, creating videos, stuff that I was already doing uh, on the side. I ran a fantasy football uh, podcast and blog. Uh, I was a featured columnist for the Denver Broncos for the Bleacher Report, which now has gotten so much bigger. Like truth be told, Moshe, it's a, it's a nice little thing to say. I wrote for Bleacher Report, but I wrote for them when they were, you know, a hungry little startup, not the real reporting organization they are now. But I started out with Ben and I had no experience in the marketing or the small business world. My dad was an FBI agent. My mom was a math teacher. Entrepreneurship was like this thing that other people did. And then I started hanging out with Ben and I seen the principled way that he lives life, the way that he goes about using entrepreneurship as a way to change the lives of others. This is, this is exciting and cool. And it gave language and it gave action to a way that I felt inside that I didn't know how to articulate. And now that's what I want to do for every law firm owner that I work with is give language and give action to that feeling that they have of this should be something more, this should be something better than it is today. I'm sure we're going to get into like some of the mental trappings that happen for law firm owners because profit does, like you said, Moshe, it creates that that kind of internal conflict that has to be solved for. And until we solve for like the relationship with money, which I was just reading uh, the millionaire next door last night, Moshe, which, you know, he talks directly about lawyers and, and doctors and high earners who never build wealth off of it. And that strange, strange relationship that every time that I get an opportunity to help a lawyer uncouple that feeling of money and show them how to build wealth. It's such an exciting day to be alive, to be able to do that. So that, that's the story of how I got to where I am today. Absolutely. So Charlie, um, I love that background and that color you just gave to us, but do you care if the next 40 minutes we just spend talking about football and forget <laughs> the law firm stuff? I mean, <laughs> here's the funny story, Moshe. So one of the complaints that we got about the po- marketing podcast I ran a, a decade ago called Make Marketing Happen, is my co-host, Jimmy Daly, and then later on, Mike Knademan. And I would usually spend the first 20 minutes rehashing football stuff because that's what I love so much. So, I mean, yeah, that's where we end up going with this. That's where we go with this. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, listen, one of the main things I listen to when I'm listening to podcasts is football content. So um, I'm, I'm, I, what's interesting is that I didn't grow up watching football, participating mm-hmm. in the sport at all. Um, I mean, I played some flag football, ta- you know, uh, uh, non-tackle versions of the game with friends, but never paid attention to the sport. And um, I don't know if I shared this story on the podcast, but 
Uh, and I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm also a paramedic. So I was working towards my, it was either my bachelor's or my master's. So I was working on the medic truck uh, and we had a station where we hung out when we weren't on calls. So I had a Thursday night partner who was a diehard football fan and he was a fantasy football guy. So it didn't matter who was playing. He was rooting for somebody on that game. Um, and I was trying to get my schoolwork done. And he's in the in there in front of the TV and he is screaming at the TV for four <laughs> hours. Right. So after two or three weeks of this, I go in there and I'm like, listen, if I'm if I'm not going to get my work done, at least explain to me what's going on so I can enjoy part of this with you because it looks like you're having a lot of fun. And that's how I got involved in, in football. Um, and it really, I mean, it's now I'm in like picking leagues and I'm, I actually don't play fantasy football. I feel like that would be too much time commitment. Like I don't, I wouldn't do it just to like, Oh, pick this, pick this. I'd actually need to be analyzing stats and everything. And you need to like, you need to know all the players out there in order to really be good at it. So um, I haven't got involved with that, but I do, I do watch, I try to watch pretty much every game on the weekend. And um, so it, it's become a very interesting thing that I never had an interest. And all of a sudden it's like a major part of my life for, you know, five months out of the year. But um, <laughs> anyway, that's, that's my football story. Well, I, I, I am a Denver Broncos fan and we just signed Russell Wilson. I was actually talking with someone at uh, my kid, my seven-year-old plays basketball and I promise to everyone listening, we're going to talk metrics, uh, but this stuff is like, it's good to get to know the people that you work with, right? Um, and it was his gateway into football was also fantasy football. It's the biggest gateway into all of this stuff. I mean, that people need that into, into certain things. And maybe, hey, look, I'll, I'll give us our, our spin here, Moshe. Maybe this podcast will be someone's gateway into paying attention to the numbers, the financials, et cetera. However you come to it, you come to it. But hey, life is a lot more fun with football in it, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and, you know, it, it, there's always like a connection. Like I'm really good friends with Mark Homer and he's in Cincinnati. So like when the Bagels won, it was like a reason to reach out to him and say, hey, what's up? You guys, you guys, you, you, you go, you, you're rooting for them. You got, you're doing anything. And I think, you know, it was an excuse to go to the bar and, and drink or whatever it was. <laughs> but uh, uh, what do you say about Tom Brady's uh, short lived retirement? I, I think it was a beautiful articulation of a feeling we all sort of suspected that he, he had anyways. It was, and what beauty and the simplicity of it, I realized after a couple of months away, my place is on the field and not in the stands. Boom, that's all he needed to say. It made perfect sense um, and such clarity to those simple words. Plus, right. I think the NFL is better you with Brady in it. <laughs> yeah, but it, I mean, there's there's going to come a time when he just physically is not going to be able to perform at the level he's performing at. So at some point, it's going to be without Brady. Uh, but what's the lesson in it for us? Why the heck am I bringing up Tom Brady on the beginning of a, a, a profit with law podcast? You know, you said it really well, like he knows he knows his place and he knows where he wants to be. And I think as a law firm owner, you have to know which role, which hat are you going to be wearing? Are you going to be the CEO or are you going to be an attorney? Mm -hmm. Because there's a huge difference in that. If you're going to be the attorney, then step into that role, figure out how to hand off everything else the CEO should be doing. And you just go and do be, be the lawyer. Yeah. And if 
you're not going to do that. So you can have like an office manager, you can have whatever, or just give them a title of CEO. I mean, if that's what they're doing, why not? Or you can be the CEO. And if that's the case, go hire an attorney. And that's yeah. really the, the biggest challenge, especially in the early growth stages that attorneys struggle with is trying to wear both of those hats. And it's hard. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not making believe it's not difficult. You know, you've got to earn money. So it's very hard to say, oh, I'm going to just hire somebody for a hundred plus thousand dollars a year to do everything that I could be doing because I recognize that if I'm going to be in the CEO role, I'm going to grow way faster if I separate myself from the technical work and the other way around as well. It's very hard for me to say, I'm going to hire somebody to do my bookkeeping. I'm going to hire somebody to do my accounting. I'm going to hire somebody to, to run my numbers and give me a status report. I'm going to hire somebody to hire my people. And, you know, it, it's very, it's weird to feel like, oh, I'm going to just hand that off to somebody else. But the reality is, uh, you know, there's the book, Who Not How, which is really great, but it's really the concept of starting to think about who can do something instead of how am I going to do it is yeah. really what's going to elevate you and, and get you into that. Uh, into that success. So lesson to be learned from what Tom Brady's doing. Uh, he knows his place. You should know your place too. Now let's talk about um, your area of expertise and let's dive into this. So I know that a lot of it comes from the marketing angle. So let's just start yeah. there. How does somebody figure out whether they should have a marketing budget, what their marketing budget should be? Uh, is there a formula to figure out what to spend or invest on marketing for the growth of your firm based on where you're at? Yeah. So there are a couple of uh, places that will go with this. I'll start from the marketing framework and, and, and then Moshe, I'm going to turn us into a revenue per employee metric, which I promise for everyone listening, you're going to want to hear this because any law firm owner who has ever struggled with the idea of where am I in relation to my peers? Which let's be honest, that's part sometimes of being a lawyer. It's why sometimes lawyers can be high income, low wealth because they're looking around at their peers and thinking, well, I need to be closer to where they are in lifestyle because they don't know the back end of any of this stuff. Uh, and so I'll talk a little bit about that as well, but upfront with the marketing. So first thing I'll say is like marketing, advertising will be where I can peg a real number right? Marketing, marketing costs are always greater than your advertising costs because marketing costs might be uh, hiring someone to answer the phone externally who has a better customer service thing before it comes inside for the intake specialist. Marketing can be the swag giveaways that you have when someone comes in that we can't put a direct return on investment on, but we know gets our brand out deeper and deeper into the community and improves our ability to provide high-end experiences and get more referrals. Now, advertising, which every, and this is one of the mistakes that are made, every law firm should have an advertising budget. And an advertising budget should be, that's, that's like, here's the marketing that we're doing. If we're doing this kind of a, a narrow it down term, we would also call this media buying, right? I mean, these are terms that you know well, Moshe. These are terms that folks in your audience may know well, but this might help put some definition on it. So am I buying local service ads from Google? Am I buying pay-per-click from Bing and Google, Facebook ads, direct mail, print advertising, television, radio, all of that stuff? The advertising budget, you know, the ranges can be pretty extreme, but usually what I'm looking for when I'm working with a firm and a lot of the firms that we work with are under $5 million a year. 
I'm going to look for that firm to spend in the range of seven to 12% on advertising. And this Moshe is really important depending on where they are in their journey. So, uh, and I, I want to, I want to jump in real quick and yeah. also depending on where they want to go in their journey. Right. Yes. Um, I have people who, you know, they're like, Oh, well, what should, what should it be? I actually just want one more client a month. Well, if you want one more client a month, don't, don't spend money on advertising. Let's find another way to bring one more client a month. In. Yep. Yep. So it's, yeah. a, it's very much a matter of scale, right? If you are a firm, let's say today you're running a, million dollar a year family law practice, right? And you're thinking to yourself, how do I get to $3 million? Well, you don't get fast at the very least to $3 million by trying to figure out how do I spend as little on marketing as humanly possible. You do have to look at spending it as a higher percentage for some amount of time. And this is really important. So let's say we're million dollars. Let's, let's do it with $1.2 million a year. So that way we get the nice round $100,000 per month revenue mark. Okay. And we say, and eh, we've been spending like, five, six percent of that every month on marketing. You might need to scale that to 12 or even 15 percent temporarily until as a percentage it starts to represent a smaller and smaller amount. And I do like to dial it in into that seven to 12 percent depending on your marketplace size, your market cap, level of competition. Obviously, I'd love it to be down as low as five percent on average. But I always like to deliver the most real and honest message possible. And I see competitive law firms that are million dollar plus are in that seven to 12% range. So that's what I look for. Right. And that's not, you know, Charlie, I'm going to, I want to jump in and add one of the things where you just said, because I really think that this will, this will tie it around away from the numbers back to the numbers. So one of the things that I've talked about here on the podcast, and I talk about with my coaching clients all the time is that the our normal modus operandi is have do be. When I have this, then I'm going to do this, then I'm going to be this, right? So when I have $3 million, then I'll be able to spend $15,000 a month on advertising. And then I'll be able to, you know, whatever, right? So the reality is, is that that's not how it happens. And when people operate from there, it takes a very long time to get to where they want to go if they get there at all, because they haven't created that ability for them to step into that role. The reality is, is that if you want to have the result, you need to operate from be, do, have. I need to start being the person in that future picture first. When I start being that person, then I'm going to start doing the things I need to do. And then I'm going to have what I want, which is that $3 million revenue, right? So just using your example and just coloring it a little bit differently, if I want to be a $3 million firm, I need to then take the $3 million firm advertising budget and start spending it today. Yeah. And if I do that, essentially what I'm doing is I'm taking a 5% budget and I'm tripling it to 15%. And by doing that, I'm now spending what I should be spending at $3 million, spending it today, and what's going to happen is, is that I'm going to start to produce the results that a $3 million firm produces from a $15,000 a month advertising budget, which will then open the floodgates of new business. And clearly there's other stuff that's going to have to fall into place. And we're going to have to start operating from a $3 million level in other areas like our staffing, our systems of processes and stuff like that. 
But yep. it's just another way of looking at what you just said with the increasing the budget that's, that might help people wrap their brains around and say, oh, that makes sense because I'm not spending that forever. I'm spending that forever, but I'm not spending it forever as a percentage, a higher percentage of my business because as I make more revenue, the percentage is going to get more in aligned with where I need to be. Yeah. You know, there's uh, the, the filmmaker Kevin Smith who created his first major film was Clerks which he made on a shoestring, like $26,000 budget. Uh, he then went on to make Dogma and then a bunch of movies that weren't that great. <laughs> but while he was in the process of making Clerks, he, he had never been a director before. So he was having a conversation with his sister and he confided in her, you know, I'm not actually a director. What am I supposed to do? Like, what am I supposed to do? And she said, well, Kevin, no, just start making decisions as a director. Today, you are a director. Now make decisions as if you were one. If you have decided that you are the future owner of a $3 million law firm, exactly what you said, Moshe, bring that into the present and start making decisions as if you were a $3 million law firm owner. And that, of course, leads to the idea of like a leap of faith, right? Um, is figuring out, you know, how much of this is a leap of faith versus how much of this is getting caught up in what I sort of loosely call the like the cult of entrepreneurship, where it's you're doing it because someone's telling you that's supposed to be your dream when it's not really your dream. And that's another part of the conversation here. Right. But if you know that that is actually your dream, I liken that leap of faith to the Indiana Jones movie, right. Where, where Indy is, is having to cross the, the Canyon and there's supposedly the invisible bridge there. And he takes that blind step out and of course, the camera pans over and what you see is it's just a rock formation that was perfectly disguised that was there all along. There wasn't any mysticism. He just needed to step out. And that's what I like in all of this, too, is taking that leap of faith. That bridge is there for you to cross it. You just have to have the confidence to step onto it. Now, to help people who are, who are listening have that leap of faith, you know, I have that revenue per employee metric that... I use to guide my coaching clients, our, our accelerated members through, hey, when? how do I know if I'm growing the right way? How do I know if I have what I would consider a healthy law firm? We do this diagnostic on people. And the revenue per employee number is literally adding up your total number of employees, including yourself as the owner. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about other lawyers, if we're talking about paralegals, support staff, a part-timer counts as part-time, right? If they work 20 hours a week, that's 0.5 employees. And so to help uh, people understand where they're at, it, I'm, I'm going to give a little bit of the math here, right? I'm just going to go dead on with mm -hmm. that. Yeah. So perfect. if you run a firm that is half a million dollars or less per year, and by the way, this is both in, in working with hundreds of law firms over the years and in studying industry metrics, both inside and outside the law. If you're under half a million dollars per year in revenue, what I'm looking for in a practice is that you're doing an average of $100,000 per employee. So if you're at $400,000, I'm going to, I would look at it, you probably have four employees. And that usually means you have the ability to both attract, convert, and actually serve those people in an effective manner. It's not your most profitable possibility, under half a million dollars, the actual range is between 75 to 125, just so everyone's aware. If you come to me and you tell me that you have a 
three person law firm and you're only doing $200,000 a year, I'm like, someone press the panic button. There's probably no money in this for you. This is extremely stressful. It's not a practice that you probably want to run unless you're okay with, you know, pretty low end profit margins overall. On the flip or side, if you've had the confidence that you're going to get to 300, 350, and you brought on that employee for that purpose, and you just haven't got there yet. Right. Or, you know, the, the best example would be the personal injury law firm that looks at its inventory, which is, you know, their future bank. And they say, okay, well, I've got about $500,000 sitting in inventory right now. I actually need three people in order to realize that, right. That's an important part of the process. Uh, Speaking of future inventory, they, when, if, if you're a personal injury or a contingency based um, law firm, you want to make sure that when you're valuing the value of your future cases completion, that you are applying a percentage of probability for winning or losing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a lot of clients that I've worked with over the years that just assume oh, it's all going to come in. And guess right. what? Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't come in to the level that you want. Sometimes it comes in way better, right? Yes. So you always want to have a prediction of the dollar amount and then a percentage that you apply. You say, I'm, I'm, only 50% certain that I'm going to get this. Now it's changed. And now I'm 75% certain or I'm 70% certain and then do the math. And that's your true um, future inventory uh, because it's a much, much more likely depiction of what actually is going to come in from a cash flow perspective. Oh yeah, absolutely. we can go back. <laughs> and, then, and then let's say you're a three person firm, it's yourself, a paralegal and, you know, sort of an office assistant. And you're doing $450,000 a year. That'd be $150,000 per employee. Well, if you came to me and say, I'm trying to figure out how to grow, I would say, well, you're missing someone. You're missing a person in your practice who probably represents increased capacity for you Mm -hmm. to bring on new clients. Now, there is an interesting phenomenon in the usually between $300,000 to about $800,000 a year, up to a million dollars of what I call a super profit practice which is a law firm that is just aiming for maximum profitability for the owner. The owner is aiming to be a, a high performer. You know, it's the solo family law attorney who's charging $625 per hour and can end up making for themselves $400,000 a year against $600,000 in revenue. And they only need a couple of people to run the place. Those practices mm-hmm. exist. But obviously, a lot of people who are interested in this business education that they're getting from you or from me, Moshe, they're looking to grow. They're looking to scale. So beyond half a million dollars and up to $3 million, our average rate is $150,000 per employee. And that's going to be the vast majority of the people who are probably like tuned in on this and are really thinking about scaling. That's the number that they're looking for right there. So $150,000 per employee, the range is plus or minus 25 for those who who really want to dial in that math, which means to be a million dollar practice, you're roughly six or seven people, right? That we have our math now to understand, is my law firm healthy or unhealthy? Am I able to achieve the profit based on the number of people that I have? There are going to be one or two outliers here or there. It happens. It's usually, it's almost always a personal injury practice that has a high specialist rate of like brain trauma uh, or, you know, child mortality issues, right? That person can exceed this. 97% of people fall within this math. So Mm -hmm. looking at that, that allows us to also start imagining, okay, I want to be, let's say today, Moshe, I'm a $600,000 
a year law firm and I've got five people, I'm about $120,000 per employee, putting me a little bit redlining. I'm starting to think about myself being a $1.5 million a year law firm. I need to now structure my next five hires, right? That's what I need to start envisioning is what does this practice look like at 10 people? And that means, okay, structuring for the right type of people, having the capacity to execute on the law firm services, having the necessary marketing person or high intake people or salespeople, whatever it is that you need in order to attract, convert, and deliver on the services in your law firm. And then we just start backtracking the marketing, right? In the marketing, we just go, okay, how many clients do I need at this average client value with X win rate and or resolution rate, if it's a PI practice or contingency practice, that gets me there. And now, great, we have our math. It's almost like boring, right? Isn't it, Moshe? Like sometimes yeah. when you and I look at the numbers, we're like, guys, this is, this, is, this is the deal here. This is the thing. Now we just have to crack how we get to the thing. Yeah. As a matter of fact, um, sometimes I just throw these numbers out there and I lose people, right? I lose my clients because um, they're not, it, they're not processing the numbers that way. And, and I want to, you know, I, even now on this podcast, like we, we need to pump the brakes sometimes and just say, okay, hold on a second. So you said that each employee should be basically responsible responsible for $150,000 in revenue. Now, we don't mean that they're actually revenue generating people, but that the number of bodies in your firm can be an indicator of what is possible for you. Yes. Um, now, what's interesting is, is that uh, we have a partner we work with called Get Staffed Up. I don't know if you've heard Love of Get them. Staffed Up. Uh, start, start, yeah. Started by Brett Trembley. And um, uh, by the way, if you are interested in checking them out, and as you hear me talk about them, you can go to Profit With Law dot com forward slash get staffed up um, and you can get $750 off of your initial fee for onboarding somebody. But the concept is, is you hire a full-time virtual assistant that is located outside of the U.S., but in your time zone, they are educated, they're English speaking. It's not like, oh, I'm going to, um, I don't want to put any other country down, but I have also Filipino VAs. They're, they're working at night when we're open during the day, right? They're on the opposite end of the world. So there's a value to having virtual assistants that are local. And I'm actually leading up to a question for you, Charlie. So um, if you actually get really good at creating solid systems and processes for what you're doing, a lot of the work that used to be a paralegal's job can actually get pushed down to somebody who's simply a virtual assistant that you've trained to do that kind of work. So now you can have an $1,850 a month full-time employee costing you a fraction of what a regular employee would cost you and can do a bunch of the work that maybe you had a paralegal doing before that was $80,000 a year or $100,000 a year, depending on their skill level. Or you're adding more capacity to your paralegal by having your paralegal hand off stuff that the paralegal doesn't need to be doing. When you're doing your per employee calculation, does it matter? Whether they're a virtual assistant, whether you're only paying $1,850 a month for them, like do you do you change the formula based on the caliber of person uh, or a body's a body? So in my experience, because you know, obviously the virtual staffing, the offshore staffing has grown exponentially in the last about three or four years. Obviously, in 2020, it really took off. In my experience, it it, it essentially it comes back to earth. There are little points in time where you can build necessary efficiencies 
and can save some of that little bit of money that maybe you would have gone for a legal assistant type who's gonna do some brief writing for you or is gonna do some answering the phones. And you can repurpose that towards say your advertising costs as you scale up. But overall, what I find is there's, there's not really an escape velocity to completely break past that point, but you use those resources to achieve efficiencies as you grow and you know prevent complete depletion of your profit margin. So even really well-staffed firms that uh, have a lot of virtual employees, sometimes one of the reasons that you still end up having this same metric and it follows falls in there is because some point or another to manage those people, to coordinate communications, you end up having a body in place who takes care of that. And, you know, Moshe, it's kind of about still the Tom Brady thing of know thyself and know what you want to do and what you're best at. So, you know, I have, I have folks, as I'm sure you do, who they're, they have maybe five, six team members in the practice, including themselves. And two of those team members are virtual team members. And if they tried to have all four team members be virtual, they wouldn't be able to manage the practice because they're terrible at like virtual communications. Now there are some for the flip that's true. The, the, the reverse is true. They are great at spending the time on managing, developing, overseeing the systems to have virtual staff work really effectively for them. There's no doubt about that. Um, like I know so much, I'll be, I'll be totally candid here. When, when 2020 hit, I was not prepared to manage remote team members. I'm still not that good at it, honestly. I have other team members who take care of managing our remote employees because it is not my strength. I need people who are in the office. That's the way that I process. And so people who are here in the office are my priority overall. Um, and that's just knowing myself. That being said, obviously, I just said I leverage talent that is remote from us. So I understand what a gift it can be to a law firm owner who's thinking, you know, Moshe, Charlie, I'm trying to grow my firm here. I've just got all this advertising spend committed. You just gave me this revenue per employee number that's telling me I need another employee in my practice, but I'm feeling cash strapped. And you and I can go talk with an organization like Get Staffed Up, leverage your money wisely, right? Because we can solve problems multiple ways. We can hire full-time, we can hire part-time, we can hire in-person, we can hire remote. Chop it up whatever way that you want it. Just be efficient in your spend and ultimately let that number guide you in the long run. And I promise you, if you let that number guide you, you will make smarter decisions. Yeah, and I think th thinking about how you have this um, cutoff point of 500,000 in revenue, I think that if you're if if we want to continue that differentiation, we can probably establish an easy rule for people. If you're earning less than five hundred thousand, consider a virtual assistant, a regular employee for the revenue calculation, because chances are you're you're getting them because you need to save the money in order to be able to have that help, and therefore they should be a producer just like a regular employee should be. When you're over that five hundred thousand mark, we can protect we can potentially see a scenario where I actually encourage um, some of my clients to do this is have a virtual assistant for every one of your top employees, like every attorney, every paralegal, every anybody who is a high value employee where I'm paying them a decent amount of money, they're producing re billable results for me. I want to make sure that they're having the most efficient use of their time. I want to pair each of them with their own assistant. 
I don't care. Have them make your travel plans, have them do your laundry for you, have them communicate with your kid's school. But if it gives you more time to work on client work, then it's a slam dunk, right? So when you start doing that, we almost can consider like an attorney plus a virtual assistant as one role. Apparently, you know, I would plus say a virtual assistant as one role. And then we, we don't have to count them as separate people when we're looking at this revenue model. I, so I, the way that I would probably look at that motion would be, uh, uh, yeah, those, those folks, the virtual assistants probably aren't putting in 40 hours a week in personal assistant work, right? Like there's going to be a much more limited scope. And I bet if we started do, counting all the math in all of that, we'd still probably find a way towards this. The flip side of it is, is that rolled into an employee's benefits package? Like, is that considered part of the benefits package? And now we're starting to get into like a semantics uh, a, a debate over what counts as, as what in compensation. Cause like the, the people who are hiring attorneys in New York, they're like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> an attorney is so expensive, $150,000 per employee. Like I'm having to just pay my employees that amount, which actually Moshe, I'm glad that you've used the term a couple of times, revenue generating employees. And you, you already provided like a, the beginning of clarity on that, which this is not just saying, every employee is responsible for creating $150,000. It's exactly what you said earlier, Moshe, which is because they are part of the firm, they are part of the ability for you to earn $150,000 per an employee because a receptionist is just as critical to the formula as you know your criminal defense attorney who's showing up doing court appearances, working DUIs or felonies, right? E equally important in the overall balance. Said differently, if your criminal defense attorney was answering the phone, then you'd have less legal capacity. Yep. Right. All those support personnel are, are making it possible for the actual billers to be doing 100% billable work yep. and not be doing anything that's not billable. Um, we have another formula that we use. I'm just going to introduce it um, is basically a attorney or a paralegal, anybody who's a biller should be producing revenue to the firm approximately five times what you're paying them. So Let me ask you if this you moment. have, if you that? don't mind me, that, that five X, because so I, I've heard, uh, I know someone has mentioned to me that that is something that, that you teach and I didn't, I wasn't able to get the answer from them. So I've got you, you on the podcast now, you don't have me. <laughs> uh, so the, the 5X, is that, are you calculating that off of just like, hey, here's our salary offer to you or total benefits package plus burden rate? Total cost to the firm. Okay. Total cost of the firm. So if you're a $150,000 attorney and there's $50,000 in benefits, then you're costing us 200,000, you should be bringing in a million in revenue. And really it's the other way around, right? It's really like, okay, so when an attorney brings in a million in revenue, 20% should go to their salary. 20% should go to the support staff required to support the work that they're doing. 20% should go to the rest of the overhead and 40% should be profit. That's the, that's the formula. So, and really the 40% profit, 15% of that is going to taxes. So it's really only 25% profit to take home to the, to the owner. But that's how, because I, mean, I don't know if you see it over my shoulder, but profit first is I'm a profit first professional. Profit first is something that I that I teach and I and I encourage people to use. And essentially, if you look at the profit first formula, whether you're calling it profit or owner's compensation, 
the owner should be getting approximately 25% at every stage of their business. It's just which, how much of it is profit and how much of it is actually paying you for what you're doing. Um, and if we want to get to that number, how do we get there? So this is a way to really dumb it down. But if we start to look at it, it probably will work well with your formula of revenue per employee. It's just, how do we, how do we analyze it? How do we cut this in, in different ways? But one of the reasons I like looking at the, the 5X is because often it will highlight a problem with the, with the firm's pricing mm. because you have an attorney, they're billing 1500 hours, which by the way, I don't believe in slaving your people to death. So 1500 hours is about 30 hours a week. That's where they should be. You know, mm -hmm. don't expect them to bill 40 hours a week because then they're working 50 or 60. And do you really want to do that to your people? So if they're, if they're expected to bring in a million and they're billing, and, and I understand there's different billing models, so you might not be doing per hour, but it's easiest to look at this per hour. Yeah. You now take your 1,500 billable hours, your million dollars expected revenue, and you do a million divided by 1,500. That gives you an hourly rate. And I actually need to pull out a calculator to do this live on the Does that bring us around show here, but I'll do it. A is million it like divided by 1,500. What's that? 667. Like what is it? 667. 667. So you have to be that attorney for that math to work. That attorney needs to be bringing in 667 an hour on average. Now, how would we get there? A lot of people would have resistance to say, well, I can't bill them at 667 an hour. Great. No problem. Let's look at an alternative fee model where you could get to 667 an hour for that. But ultimately, if the math doesn't work for 5X and, and, and what you can bill them at, then you're either paying them too much or you're charging too little. And it's really a very easy way to get to what's the problem? Why am I not able to grow? Why am I not able to profit? And seeing that, and I like this per revenue model that you have, the per employee revenue model, because it gives you another easy checkpoint to say what's broken in my system. So let me ask you this, Charlie, because we're almost out of time. So I want to be, I want to honor the time that you gave us because you've been really kind and this is great information I love but this i want stuff. to pick your brain here <laughs> yeah <laughs> we can go on for hours right i know honestly um, I, I already get the feeling moshe that you and i could sit down and, like talk numbers and analyze p l documents for clients like all day long and we'd probably do it with a big grin on our face the whole time absolutely absolutely um i just got to find more people like you because i need some 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 of those on my staff but <laughs> we're looking at that model what is, what is the troubleshooting step? So in other words, I do it and I see that I'm off, right? What yeah. does that tell me? When, when I am off per revenue, per, per employee revenue, and you kind of, you hit on some of this during the interview, um, but let's just say that I'm not getting enough revenue per person, right? Yeah. What does that tell me? Does that tell me I'm not charging enough? Does it tell me we have inefficiencies? Does it tell me I'm paying too much for my people? Does it tell me I'm overstaffed or understaffed? And how is there another formula behind this to kind of say, okay, let's now that we know that this model is off and we have to bring it back into alignment, we have to look at this to figure that out. So I'll handle the first uh, caveat that I actually addressed earlier real quick, which is if you are in a contingency fee practice, we have to decide, are we measuring based on, you know, cash accounting and we're deciding on like this year's revenue based on that or are we 
deciding on our personnel based on future expected revenue. So I usually, I balance in the direction of future expected revenue because as you and I have talked about Moshe, you need the capacity and operations to realize the enterprise you are running in reality. Okay, so right. and, that, that. And, and, and that brings up a whole other conversation, which is basically you need to know what capital outlay you have to have to produce yeah. the results that you want. And if you're not in the position to have that capital outlay, you're going to get stuck in the middle. Right. Yes. So if you're doing work that you're not getting paid till the end and you're paying all these people and you're paying for the, you know, the, the, expert, the experts to come in and testify and you're paying for reports and, and whatnot on the medical bills and, and all that stuff. And you're outlaying all this cash for these clients. At some point, your piggy banks, piggy banks going to run dry yeah. and you're going to be stuck with a bunch of cases that you now need to exit from because you can't continue them because you don't have the money to pay the people or, or pay for the experts to get them, see them through to completion. And, and in a contingency practice, it gets much more highlighted, but this is any firm, right? Mm -hmm. you, need to, you need to know your dollars and know your run rate and know your burn rate, know how much cash you have and solve that before you get started. And that's part of the problem of not planning and, not, and all of that stuff. I don't want to go down that road, but I just want to mention that because yes, I, it makes 100% sense to look at your current expenses in what are they currently producing and what they're currently producing is the future payouts of these cases. Yeah. And therefore, I agree with you 100% that that would be the way that makes sense to measure them. Yeah, you just have to have the financial discipline to start tucking stuff away. I think Profit First is a phenomenal way to build that discipline. So if I'm, if I'm walking into a firm and uh, let, let's use a practical example, million dollars a year. And they tell me that they have nine or I've seen even 10 employees that puts around $100,000. And we said, we want them at a minimum of 125. 80% of the time, they're just overstaffed. And the most common reason they become overstaffed is they hang on to a legacy employee who was someone who you know used to wear many hats. They were there when the firm was $300,000 a year. And as the firm grew, this person still wanted to do everything but they didn't do any one thing well enough to sort of say like, okay, you're now going to be my full-time paralegal, right? And I need someone who's going to be my paralegal leader overall, because I have two other paralegals. So that person, you know, they kind of answer the phones, they kind of do this, they kind of do that. All the while, the firm owner is hiring people as specialists around that individual and adding more staff without getting rid of unnecessary redundancies. There are necessary redundancies, then there are unnecessary redundancies. And very rarely, and this is really unfortunate, Moshe, very rarely is that wears many hats person able to transition into the new culture of we need specialists as the firm grows. And that's what I'm going to look at very early on. You probably have bloat of one or two employees in that case. And usually that's a cascade from there, Moshe. When we identify if we have employee bloat, I know that we're going to have efficiencies problems because usually what happens is, and this ends up just being like mental stuff, is you've designed systems around that person rather than around the processes and positions you should have in the practice. So now you're asking, like, let's say that individual's name is Tina. We're going to say it's Tina. Tina's been your office manager for a long time. She was there in the early days. Tina isn't ready to transition. She's been there 12 years. She's not going to change her ways. Well, out of respect to Tina, we're still having 
all of the medical records requests go through her, even though she's not very good at it. And we really would like that work to be siloed off on the case manager of which we have two. But now we have this weird inefficiency built in because Tina used to request the medical records for us and did a decent job when we were $300,000 a year, but she can't keep up at this point. And so I know I'm going to hit that cascade of, oh, we got a person problem. Next up, we are definitely going to find process problems. And if you have people in process problems, you definitely have a profit problem, right? And just stumbling into those three Ps right there. I think we all love alliteration. And that's 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 the majority. Not to be confused with TPP loans and grants, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And so it, it all also adds up into the other stuff. You want to add another P to the pile here. And we would say price is one of those things. If I am in a flat fee or hourly billing practice, a transactional practice, yeah, I'm going to look at prices. Why is your average a new engagement fee in an estate planning practice, $2,000, when I have people whose average engagement rate is $6,700 and up to $12,000 for a new engagement. And then you have some real outliers who are also combining financial services. We're not going to go down that path this moment. But like that's a, that's a three to five X multiplier of that other person's engagement fee. So yeah, I'm going to look at price. You know, most of the people who get interested in some of this business stuff that we teach, they've at least adjusted prices at some point. Now, Moshe, you and I both deal with the Bambis of the world, right? Of the legal world. And I, I do love and adore them because they are just getting their feet under them and they're figuring out like, what is my relationship with profit? What is my feeling about actually monetizing this skill set that I've built? Because I now have this law firm. I do have the rent. I do want employees. And yeah, I yeah. would... I would like to live in a, I would like to own a home instead of renting an apartment like I've been doing. And this is just me giving voice to like the unspoken things within the legal mm -hmm. profession that most people sweep under the rug because they never want anyone to see. And everyone has their own version of this. We just need to have an honest conversation and say, you have an incredible skill set as a lawyer. Uh, and you have a person for whom you would be the absolute perfect representative for what they need done in their lives own that responsibility and own your value to that individual that they would gladly pay whatever is the right and fair fee to both for them to afford the services, but also for them to feel extremely confident that you are the right solution. Because if you charge enough, guess what you're going to do for them? Pay more attention to them, pay more attention to their legal issue and put in that extra 50% that a lawyer who's just like, I actually have somewhere over here, Moshe, I have the, uh, the little flyer that I get from the local trust and estates attorney that has like their fee schedule on it. It's like basic, basic will $250, basic trust, $750. I was like, every, everyone knows in our industry, right? You and I know all of the people we coach know you're going to pay a lot more on the other side of that $750 trust. When someone goes to try and actually execute on it, you're just, you're saving right. money now to pay more in probate later. But right. Either that or either that or it's an attorney who's doing all the work right and is just not charging enough. And they're never going to be more than their solo practitioner with no help. Just that's going to be there with the you know, when somebody looks me up in the yellow pages, that's when I'm going to get some business. Um, all right, Charlie, we're out of time. I want to put a bow on this. You mentioned confidence multiple times on this show. I kept wanting to go back to it. I just want to say, guys, go back and listen to this again and look for that word confidence because Charlie has indicated multiple times and rightfully so that 
growing your firm, making the right decisions, taking the right actions, looking at the stuff, all of this requires you to step into a position where you're confident that what you're doing is the right step. And you're confident that executing on this is going to get you better results than what you had before. And you need to own that. You need to take that on and wear it and be, be the confident business owner that you should be so that you can step into that role um, and, and achieve the success that you want. Charlie, I'm going to give you the mic to tell us two things. Number one, what is your last words of advice to our listeners? If you can just sum up something into one sentence or two sentences to tell them, if you're going to listen to one thing from me today, this is what it is. And then how do people follow up with you um, at, when they want to learn more about you? So what I will say is for everyone listening, understand that there are people like myself and Moshe who believe in you more than you believe in yourself. And all that we're asking is for you to meet us where we already are for you. If you can come to where we already are for you, you will prosper, you will serve your team members, you will serve your family, you will serve your community, and you will serve your clients more. We believe in you. Come to where we want you and know you can be. We have the confidence for you. Moshe and I have the confidence for you already waiting. That's what I'll say about that. And if you are interested in more of this, right, this earnest discussion of developing a law firm, uh, growing the practice, and doing it in this sort of holistic, let's understand your goals and intentions as a law firm owner and as a human being, go to greatlegalmarketing.com. We always have free resources for people to get started on the hero's journey with us. And then we have coaching programs that will meet you where you are in the growth of your practice. We're always excited to work with folks. Uh, So go to greatlegalmarketing.com. Uh, to go ahead and start that journey. And I look forward to welcoming you into the community. Charlie, thank you so much for your generosity with your time and for coming on here. Um, I I really love the conversation and really an hour was not enough. So first of all, we're going to have to somehow get together and have drinks together at some point and just chat, but uh, hopefully we'll get you back here on the show again in the future and be able to continue because Man, there's a lot that we didn't get to that I think that um, that we can we can just jam on and people can benefit from. Uh, but folks, uh, if your head's spinning, go back listen to this again. If it's not, if you got it, great. Write down what is your execution plan. What is something that you learned today that you're going to go back and execute on, even if it's just, hey, I'm just going to go look at my numbers again. I'm just going to count my bodies and I'm going to look at my numbers. I'm going to say, what should it be and where am I? And how do I compare to this simple formula calculation that was just shared today? Uh, And if this is your first time listening to the podcast and you enjoyed the content, we would love to have you back as a listener on a regular basis. Just hit the subscribe button in your podcast player. You'll get notified every time we release a new episode. And if this is not your first time or you really loved it so much that you're ready to leave us a rating and review today, folks, the same way that you need your clients to leave rating and reviews on Google for you, we need you to leave that on Apple iTunes podcast player for us. Um, just go click that write a review button. Give us a number of stars. Write a little thing. What's going to happen is people come, they check out the show. They're like, oh. Who is this guy? What is this? Should I listen to it? Should I not? They go in there and we've got a few hundred reviews. They're going to take a listen because nobody else has that. Well, I don't have a few hundred reviews. So I need you 
Go in there, write a review. Really appreciate it if you do that. We're here twice a week, every Tuesday and Thursday. We just crossed the 300 episode mark. We're just delivering value to you. There's no charge for it. Um, my team is so excited because we're about to also cross another huge milestone of 100,000 downloads, which means 100,000 epi episodes were listened to by attorney law firm owners. And we love that about our Congratulations. audience. Congratulations. Providing that value to you. What's that? Congratulations, Moshe. Those are big accomplishments. Thank you, Charlie. Really appreciate it. And um, we, we can't do any of this without you guys. If we had zero downloads, how many times could we sit behind the microphone and record an episode for you, right? So the fact that you're listening, the fact that you're sharing, telling other people about it just gives us the, the fuel to keep doing what we're doing. So we really appreciate you, the listener. And um, I just want to take a moment and celebrate, celebrate you uh, because you're not only are you gaining from this, but you're also helping us gain from it as well. So enjoy your week. Come back next Tuesday for my next solo episode, and we'll catch you then. Take care. That's it for this week's episode of Profit With Law. If you have enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with at least one person. Imagine how many lives we can change if we each shared this episode. Another way to share the episode is on social media. We appreciate your support and look forward to you joining us again next week.